Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. So if you brought your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians. This is just not a message series that we're going to start today. Uh, just gonna, I just have one message. And uh, strangely, I felt um, quickened, drawn to uh, go to Ephesians chapter 5. So I'm going to spend just a few, few hours in Ephesians 5 this morning. Like to share what God's put on my heart. I, I'm not, I, I got to be honest with you, I don't really like one messages, like one message, standoff messages. Uh, I like message series so you can get kind of a panoramic perspective of either a theme or a book of the Bible. But today I just kind of felt like we we're supposed to do something different. Plus I'm just, I'm, I'm tired guys. I'm exhausted. So um, we're just going to uh, talk through Ephesians uh, chapter five. And uh, today, if, if, if you kind of want to get an idea of where we're going, I'm going to talk about um, redeeming the time and uh, how that relates to being, becoming a transformative presence a wise presence in our city this year. How many of you want to be a wise presence in our in, in this city? Uh, and so, and, and I want to connect that with spiritual warfare. There's kind of three themes that I'm going to try to um, flesh out for us. So Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse uh, 14, Paul writes, how many of you love the book of Ephesians? Okay. It's a good book. I recommend that you read it. If you want to read it this week, read it today. I'd, I'd recommend that. It's a great book. But Paul writes in chapter 5, verse 14, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 15, look carefully. Everyone say carefully. I think we need to live courageously in 2019, but Paul would also suggest we need to live carefully. We'll talk a little bit about that. Look carefully then how you walk. Paul's giving us a blueprint, uh, maybe a profile for how to uh, keep to our commitment to Jesus in 2019. Uh, Then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. How many of you want to have wisdom? Wisdom in uh, Jewish lit, uh, wisdom lit, go all the way back to Proverbs, uh, Lady Wisdom is personified, and uh, Lady Wisdom represents the Spirit of God, and Lady Wisdom is associated with the making of the world. How many of you know that we do not subscribe or ascribe, that's a better ascribe, I always get those words mixed up, uh, to a, really the reigning worldview that biological life is, 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 is an accident, has no meaning, has no purpose, Right. Uh, wisdom is associated with this idea that this world, the cosmos, uh, has a structure to it, has a character to it. Um, God is built into the fabric, kind of mixing my metaphors here, but built into uh, the structure of creation, the space-time continuum, whatever you want to call it, the universe, a a moral uh, universe. And uh, there's a certain way to live. And wisdom is living life how God intended you to live. It's, um, it's not eating chocolate shakes all the time because that will kill you. Can I get any man of that, right? Um, it's, it's understanding that there is, uh, 
There's a grain to this universe. And if you go with the grain of, of God's beautiful world, you will live a wise life and you will have life. If you go against the grain of how God has built this world, uh, which is foolishness and unwise, you court death. And so Paul is kind of talking about that. We can talk much about that um, later. But he says, I want you to be not unwise, but wise. And then he says in verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And then he continues in verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How many of you know that you can know God's will? Next week, I'm going to really, really go after this, that thought, uh, because I think there's a lot of people that just assume that, man, I just can't figure out God's plan for my life, and that's false. And we'll talk more about that next week. So therefore, do not be foolish, as, we, as, as Paul wrote, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Next verse, and do not get drunk with Michelob, right? <laughs> Don't club all the time, right? Don't give yourself to that style of life. For that is debauchery, but, I love that, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the fullness of God. And we continue next verse addressing one another. And this is Paul just gives us a practical blueprint of how to, how to be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Any singers here today? Okay, a few of you. Joel King, you're not one of them. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Verse 20, I think we have verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. amen. Could you bow your heads, close your eyes as we pray. Father, I thank you just for the next few minutes. We just thank you for your presence. Lord, I thank you that we are alive this morning. I thank you that we have oxygen in our, in our lungs. Lord, I thank you that our, our heart's beating. Lord, I thank you that we have our families here today. Lord, I, I'm so thankful that we are in 2019, not 1988. Lord, 2019 so much better. Lord, I thank you for your grace, that you've lavished your grace on every son and daughter. Lord, we thank you for the years of futility have lifted off the Dallas Cowboys, and I can preach again, finally. But Lord, we thank you that you would take mostly, in all seriousness, you would take this message, and uh, you, would, you would speak to us. Lord, help us to never be the same again. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Um, I... This last uh, two months, I've been thinking about, please don't judge me, but I've been thinking about uh, fighting, and, uh, and I'll explain. I, I'm obsessed with fighting. Uh, is, is there anyone, don't, actually raise your hand, I kind of want to see, because I just kind of want to get a feel of, of the room. How many have ever been in a fight before? Or, oh my, oh my word. <laughs> Okay, no, 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 no. Okay, if, if you have been in a fight before, I've never done this before. This is going to be a little bit weird. But I would like you to stand. No, 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 stand, stand. I want to see, I want to see. Okay, you, oh my gosh, oh my. All right, we, we need to talk about anger in this church. All right. Pastor Ken. Pastor Ken. Pastor Ken. 
You have failed your church. <laughs> no, it's funny. Now, I much respect. I'm sure there was a story, right? I, I've been in, I mean, maybe you've heard this before. I've been in one fight. I was seven. And I fought an eight-year-old. And I was defending my, my sister's honor, Rochelle. And uh, Tracy was nowhere to be found. And, um, yeah, she's probably running, hiding. That's kind of the person she is. I'm kidding. Uh, I remember I got in a fight with this, this eight-year-old. He shoved me, and uh, I'd never been in a fight since. I mean, it was one of those moments, I had an epiphanous moment where I just, man, I just realized this, this kid is stronger than me, right? So I've been thinking about fighting. Um, I've actually, I've been to three NFL football games. I remember two years, three years ago, two years ago. Uh, went to uh, a Niner game, not because I love the Niners. Uh, went because uh, I, I, doing a, a Seahawk Chapel, and I got tickets, and I went to the game, and I had a Niner fan confront me, and he wanted to fight me. And uh, so I step. I, I'm not joking. I'd be proud of your pastor. I, my wife's behind me. He's this guy's not like not, not all there. He's throwing a lot of epithets towards me. So I just kind of stepped towards him. He's kind of a small guy. And once I stepped toward him, he realized that I was serious. I'm a serious guy. And he realized I was genetically superior to him. So he, <laughs> you probably get that every Sunday when, you know, you see me. Anyways, bad joke. That's my one, that's one more, dad joke. Um, he wanted to fight me, but I've been, no joke, I've been to three NFL games, and every time someone wants to fight me, it's the weirdest, it's the weirdest thing. They all, they all think that I'm the big, must be the big thing, right? And they got to take me, it's kind of like prison. Anyways, guys, I'm so tired. I don't know where my thoughts are going, but I've been thinking about this, like, okay, fight. Everyone say fight. So I'm not judging you if you've been in a fight. I've been in a fight when I was seven. I kind of wonder what it'd feel like if I got hit in the face. Don't prank me today if you hit me in the face because you think it's funny because I mentioned it. I won't, you know, just don't do that, right? So I've been thinking about this, this concept of fighting. And so the last two months, um, my, my wife and I, as you know, we, we've been in the NICU. We've been really tired and we've been raising our kids. And uh, at four in the morning, it's kind of like the magic hour. That's where our twin boys conspire against us. So they wake up, and uh, they, it's, it's really hard to con- console them. Um, just so you know, I'm going a half an hour of sleep um, last night. Anyways, um, you could pray for me. And um, so we just, we, we've been kind of going through it. My kids, at, at, my two boys wake up at four. And uh, so we decided at three or four o'clock, my wife and I, uh, we're going to watch um, some movies. And uh, so you know, I read all the time. Uh, I rarely go to movies. I usually pray for the nations, you know, you guys. Anyways, bad joke. All right, go on. Um, but we decided, hey, at 3, 4 o'clock, um, we're going to watch a few movies. So I watched The Warrior. Have you seen The Warrior? I don't recommend, like, movies a lot, but we started watching The Warriors. I don't know if I was tired, but I turned to my wife, and I'm just bawling. I don't know, like, why am I bawling? I look at my wife, and my wife is bawling. She's like, why, why are we crying? And uh, we started talking about it. And then the next uh, morning, we watched uh, Rocky Four. Have you ever seen Rocky Four? I mean, if you don't ball at Rocky Four, there's something wrong with you. Um, right, the Russian and Rocky. And there's just something about Rocky. Just It's impossible. He would be dead in the first round, taking all those hits. But it's just amazing, the hits that he takes and just uh, fighting. And, and, and I've just been thinking about this and crying a lot. And, um, like, 
trying to figure out, God, what are you, because I know the Holy Spirit's trying to speak to me. And uh, the reason why I mentioned fighting is because we've had to, my wife and I, the last um, month, we've really had to fight the good fight of faith. Uh, we were, as I mentioned, we were in the NICU for at least 25 days, maybe longer. And uh, we had our good days. And we had our, our bad days. Good days would be when the doctor, we had a great set of nurses and the doctors at the hospital that we were at were amazing. Uh, but a good day is when a doctor didn't say anything. That was a good day for us. It was a good day when uh, my son uh, could, could eat a little bit, right? It was a good day. Those were good days. And then we had our bad days where the doctor, doctor after doctor after doctor would give us bad news about um, our little boy Presley. And so my wife and I quickly realized that, man, we, we were in the good fight of faith. And we had to fight the good fight of faith. And uh, we came up against, you know, we don't like to talk about this in our, in our culture because we're strictly materialistic, right, in how we think. Um, we we kind of just assume that we live in a closed system, that there's not another dimension. It's just us, right? There's nothing outside of us. There's no other dimension, um, but my wife and I, being in the NICU, quickly realized, yeah, there, there is something, we've always known this, but we, it, it became our experience, there is something called spiritual warfare. And that there are, in the words of one scholar, there's a society, and we've demythologized um, the cosmos. I'll explain what that means later. That simply means we've marginalized spiritual warfare and stuff. But scholars, and I love, there's a growing consensus among scholars that, yes, when Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, that there is a cosmic hierarchy of forces of, in the words of one scholar, society of unseen intelligent wills that want to sabotage God's plan for your life. That's not, I'm not trying to frighten anybody. I'm not trying to scare anybody. That's the last thing that I want to do. But I just want to make light that there is something called spiritual warfare. And that it's, it's imperative that if, if, we, if we're really committed to Jesus in 2019, um, we have to be okay with um, fighting the good fight of faith. Right, So we come to uh, the book of Ephesians, and um, Paul makes it very clear that um, all of creation is engulfed in this cosmic warfare, right? That, that the church, like many of us think, well, I, 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 I don't really believe in that stuff. Well, Paul makes it very explicit that everything from your marriage to uh, what you do with your bodies to um, sex, to uh, living a genuine human life, uh, to, to raising kids, raising your family, what to do with work, um, how, how, to, how to live in the light of God's wisdom and his victory um, is all locked up in a battle with this present darkness. In fact, one, one scholar says that if you're, if, you, if you're committed to the full version of following Jesus, how many of you are committed to the full version of following Jesus this year? Um, the full version of discipleship is to sign on, in the words of this scholar, for spiritual warfare, right? So how within this kind of cultural ecosystem, and Paul would say, um, and he says it 
We read it in uh, chapter 5 that the days are evil. How in this cultural ecosystem that is designed um, with nefarious intent to stop God's people from reflecting the love and the wisdom and the grace of God back into our city. How do we navigate um, this kind of cosmic warfare? I have an answer, but I got to nerd out on you for two minutes. Can you let me do that for two minutes? I haven't done it for two months, so you give me two minutes. So when we come to uh, the book of Ephesians, um, Ephesus, if you don't know this, was um, considered one of the more um, powerful cities in the ancient world. Uh, it was a host city for the imperial cult. Uh, we know that at the center, actually the northwest, excuse me, the northeast quadrant of the city, you had a temple called Artemis. Um, and uh, it was one of the, considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. In fact, at the center of this temple, you had a statue of Artemis. It was grotesque. Um, it was focused, this, the worship of Artemis was focused on fertility. Uh, fertility. And um, we know in many ancient accounts that many people believe that this statue was a gift given by Zeus himself. You had an all-female cult uh, which wielded power in this city. Again, as I mentioned, uh, this city was uh, also a, a center, an epicenter of uh, the imperial cult. Uh, Ephesus was also famous for popular level magic. You had magic, you had magicians, you had wizards, you had Harry Potter, whatever, right? You had all this stuff. There was an obsession with um, magic, with power. Ephesus was, in other words, in this ancient world, the cultural epicenter of ancient paganism and magic with an obsession with power. And we find that Paul in Acts chapter 19 came to Ephesus and uh, he does some remarkable things. In fact, his healing ministry goes on display. Bodies were healed in a dramatic fashion. Uh, so much so, pa Paul's body was glowing with the presence of God. That's kind of like my words. There were signs of new creation breaking out everywhere that even the handkerchiefs and the towels that touched the body of Paul, for us Western-style thinkers here, this is hard for us to understand, but once they touched Paul's body, they were infused with healing power. And anyone who touched those handkerchiefs or towels were healed. So there were, tr there were tremendous or remarkable displays of power in the ministry of Paul. Uh, in this city, um, famous for its power, Paul goes around announcing that Jesus was the exclusive king over the entire creation. And that announcement was set apart by the remarkable healings. So Jesus, the announcement that Paul went around um, in this city uh, announcing was that Jesus was king over creation and was transforming this powerful, everyone say powerful, this powerful city. In fact, uh, the nature of Paul's message was that God was sovereign over all the powers. Can I get an amen to that? So what's the book before we get into just a, kind of a blueprint of how we live our lives um, this year? Uh, what's this book about? It's a, it's, it's a book about power. Um, we find in the first three chapters that there is a, like a, a lyrical um, drama that unfolds celebrating the victory of Jesus over the powers, as I mentioned. Um, Paul gives us, I love this, this panoramic vision of Jesus and the church and the cosmos. He tells us that heaven and earth will be joined together. I love this. That God raised Jesus from the dead. 
and that now he is sovereign over everything, in the words of Eugene Peterson, everything from uh, galaxies to governments and everything in between. Paul tells us within this kind of exalted prose, it just, when you read the first three chapters of Ephesians, you kind of get a sense that Paul is writing and he's praying and he's singing all at the same time and thinking. Uh, You have run-on sentence after run-on sentence, and he tells us that you and I have been lavished with grace and with wisdom. He tells us that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ, you've gone through the waters of baptism, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, which essentially means that God's future world has broken in on our sad, sorry existence. And Jesus is making all things new. He continues that it's through his church that God will display his glory to the powers. And then he says that you and I have been adopted, or we could say stitched into this beautiful tapestry of the story of Jesus. The language is incorporation. We've been incorporated into the body of Jesus because of his grace, because of the cross, because of the resurrection. Can I get an amen to that? That we were at one time without hope, we were strangers to the promise, right? That we, we didn't have God in our lives, that we were fugitives, we were refugees, we were immigrants, we had no meaning, no purpose, and yet it is God who chose you and I. Not because of our family background, not because we always made the right decisions, not because our lives were perfect, right? God chose us because of his love. God chose us because of his love. Um, this, a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I, we were going back and forth between the NICU and um, our house. And uh, we, my wife had a conversation with uh, Quincy. And Quincy was a little bit concerned. We had to take care of the boys downtown at the hospital that we were at. And uh, he was concerned about uh, us taking care of, of, of him and Wesley and uh, Whitney. And so he asked uh, my wife um, whether and it broke my wife's heart, whether um, we still loved our kids, uh, loved them. And so Quincy kind of made a, a declaration, I love this kid. He just, if you know Quincy, he just shares his heart. He, he, knows, he knows no filter. <laughs> and uh, you probably have experienced that. Um, we're working on him. But he looked at my wife and he's like, again, this is illustrating kind of adoption. He goes, mom, uh, is the reason why you love uh, the, the little babies more than us because we're adopted and they're not. And we sat there. My, my, no, I didn't sit there, but my wife sat there. She was stunned. And uh, she prayed with him, explained, hey, Quincy, you are, you are son, son. Um, just because we had, because these two babies were in mom's tummy, and just because you were adopted, there is no stinking emphasis on stinking. No stinking difference right? We love you no matter what. Adoption and babies and tummy, those are just two different ways that God brings you into our life. Quincy was struggling with the story. He wasn't struggling necessarily with his strengths, with weaknesses, whatever. His issue was on the level of story. Like what did adoption really mean to him? And I think many people too here today, that's your big struggle, right? We talk about um, Man, lavished with grace and with wisdom. We talk about Jesus sovereign over galaxies and governments. We talk about um, having redemption, 
uh, in his, by his blood. We, we talk about inheritance and we talk about the kind of these big, soaring, exalted ideas. And some of you are like, man, that isn't, ref- I'm a Christian, but that doesn't reflect my life, right? I don't feel like I've been lavished with grace and with wisdom. I feel like my life is defined and shaped by messes. Some of it is, yeah, I'm responsible for. Some of it is like outside of my control. Well, Paul, before he wants us to feel anything, he wants us to think correctly and straight about Jesus. And what Paul, I think, is suggesting is uh, we, we need, as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, we got to learn to tell our feelings what to do. Just because you feel something doesn't mean it's true, right? And so Paul is giving us a perspective, whether you feel like this or not, whether your circumstances reflect the exalted prose of you being in Jesus and Jesus has won the victory of the powers and you have the victory no matter what, no matter what. Even though your life might not reflect that, Paul is saying it is true about you. You have been stitched into the story of Jesus Not because you've done anything to merit it. God lavished his wisdom, his grace on you because he loves you. So this lyrical drama kind of picks up. We we, kind of get to this crescendo where Paul is talking about how Jesus has won the victory over the powers. And then he tells us, however, there are powers that want to deceive, there are powers that want to lie. There are forces in this world that want to sabotage who you are in Christ. So now we come to what we read earlier um, this morning, this afternoon now. Paul says, you must be careful. Why would he say that? Remember this, this year we talked about you got to be courageous, right? I think we got to be courageous. I think some people are overly careful. I think as Christians, we need to take risks. Can I get an amen to that? But Paul is not saying this in a negative way. He's not concerned necessarily about living by safety. He understands risk more than anybody. But he says, in light of this warfare backdrop that we find in Ephesians, you must be careful. See, I, here, I, I've been thinking about this. For, for some time, I really do believe our culture traffics in kind of a carefree lifestyle. I'll, I'll, I'll explain. Uh, I, if we're not careful, um, if we're not caring, uh, we, and it's just, it's because of drift, because we kind of just go through life, uh, we can become indifferent to the spiritual life. We, we, we can become indifferent to what God has for us. I, I think the greatest danger for the church is not the devil. Can I get an amen to that? I think it's complacency. I think it's just kind of, you know, and again, good people love Jesus. Going through the motions is probably the biggest problem that we're confronting or have to confront this year. Um, I don't want us to be complacent. And I, I think what Paul is saying, you must be careful. What does that mean? Remember that everything from your marriage to your kids, raising your kids, to your work, to what God has in store for you is shaped by this cosmic warfare. However, this cosmic warfare has already been won by Jesus. So live in light of that. But I, I, I think there is something to be said about a carefree lifestyle. Um, what you, my wife and I, we talk about this a lot. My, probably my biggest pet peeve on date nights, how many of you take date nights? 
Okay, a few of you. Um, this last couple, couple uh, weeks ago, we had one, one date night. We went out for a little bit. And my pet peeve is uh, when, and it's my wife's pet peeve as well, is when we say to each other, we don't care. For example, we talked about on our date night, hey, do you want to do coffee or do you want to go uh, to the restaurant? And my wife's like, I don't care. You know, and I'm like, you don't care? Okay. Um, and we're tired. We're exhausted. And I'm judging my wife. Right. She's probably watching this. Sorry, babe. Um, and then we, we were talking about, okay, how many of you enjoy maybe a movie every now and then? We were talking about, hey, let's go to a movie. Um, and so I asked her, do you want to go to a movie? you want to stay um, in prison by staying home and watching Netflix? And she's like, I don't care. And I'm like, oh, it's kind of, I don't care is kind of a pet peeve of mine. And then I'm like, hey, babe, should we just, it was cold, but I was like, hey, should we just take a walk or maybe, you know, get in the car and, and go make out? And she's like, was that too much for you guys? All right. <laughs> After I said that, I'm hoping she's going to answer. She goes, I don't care. <laughs> so... It's funny, and th- that's okay. I know we, like, some of you are going to be like, after this, you're going you're gonna to talk to your spouse, and you're like, hey, where do you want to go? And, you're, and they're probably going to say, I don't care. I, I get that. But here's the problem. I think that I don't care attitude has kind of infiltrated um, our culture. Uh, Henry Nouwen, he said this, this expression of indifference, I don't care, toward choices in life has become commonplace. And it seems that not to care has become more acceptable than to care. And a carefree lifestyle has become more attractive than a careful one. I think what Paul is saying, hey, I want you to be careful, which means I want you to remember that you're fighting the good fight of faith. And I want you to take serious the spiritual life that I have for you. Because there will be things in 2019, let's just be honest, um, that will attempt to sabotage what God has in store for you. But we already have the victory over them. We've already won the victory over every sabotage or attempt at sabotage, anything that tries to impede what God has for us. But I think what Paul is saying here when he says, be careful, you know what I think he's saying? I think he's essentially saying, hey, just because life is hard doesn't mean that it's not God's plan. Just because right now, because... I don't know about you, I came into 2019 a little bit heavy, like just a lot of, go, a lot of stuff going on, I'm pretty tired, and I'm thinking, God, what do you want to do in 2019? And I was kind of carrying a weight, and at that moment when I asked that question, life felt hard and, I just, and, and difficult, and I felt like the Holy Spirit instantly told me, just because life is hard and you feel like there's some warfare in your life, it doesn't mean that I'm not with you. It doesn't mean that I'm not working in your life. It doesn't mean that I'm way out there in some disembodied place, indifferent to what you're going through. It doesn't mean that I'm above you, I'm far from you, I'm away from you. Um, It doesn't mean any of that. Just because we're going through difficult circumstances doesn't mean that God is far from us. In fact, the opposite is true. God is with you. He's, he 
has a great work for you in 2019. God is going to do extraordinary things through your circumstances, through your family, through your life. You have an incredible testimony that God's going to shape and form in 2019. God's going to use this church and churches in this valley. God's going to use your life and your marriage and your family to display the wisdom, the multifaceted wisdom and love and grace of God to this world. God is not done with you. This is good preaching, I think. God is not true with you, especially, and I felt like I, need, I needed to say this, especially those who have come this morning and you feel like your life is totally upside down. You feel like your life's a mess. you like you've made bad decisions or other people have made bad decisions and you're in the throes of just a really bad, bad, bad season. God is at work in you. So be careful. Be careful to recognize that, yeah, we are in this, engulfed in this cosmic warfare. Jesus, however, has won the victory. Just because you're going through something doesn't mean God has forsaken you. So how do we be careful? I'm just going to follow um, Paul's logic here. And he says, well, the way you be careful is you got to redeem the time. you got to redeem it. you got to buy it back. Redemption talk it evokes exodus. So what Paul is essentially saying is that time is enslaved, right? There's something wrong with, with time, right? Uh, but you can buy it back. You can, God through you can redeem it, can bring healing to your time. Like for many Americans, I love, I love thinking about this, but Amer- most Americans have a complicated relationship with time. Would you agree with that? Like think about all the time sayings. We have father time. We have wasting time. Have you ever wasted time, Right. Uh, we have uh, time flies, march of time, time worn. We have daylight savings because we want to manipulate time, right? It's, it's funny. Um, a couple weeks ago, I watched Karate Kid, and uh, I turned on the info, and I didn't realize that Karate Kid this year will be 35 years old. And I remember I, I, I remarked to my wife, I'm like, hey, babe, man, time, what, flies, Right, we, we just have a complicated relationship with time. Oliver Wendell Holmes, kind of an obscure guy, he called time a miser. It's not generous. It takes from us. Uh, one, one saying that, that's used often, which I fundamentally disagree with, goes all the way back to Seneca, Roman philosopher. He said time heals with a little bit of reason. I disagree. I don't think time heals. I think time with Jesus heals. So we got to be careful which means we got to understand that, yeah, we're engulfed in this cosmic warfare. Um, the way we, we practice caring uh, is we have to learn the art of redeeming the time, right? we got to redeem it. We have to buy it back. Uh, the problem is, is that according to one pastor, and I fundamentally agree with him, the single biggest problem for most Christians is what we do with our time what we do with our time. Uh, January 1, how many of you were confronted with a nearly infinite amount of decision and choices you felt like you had to make in 2019? Okay, a few of you. I felt it on January 1, right? I, I was thinking about, okay, what are my goals? What are, I, what are my priorities? What are all the things I need to do? And for about five minutes, I was a little bit overwhelmed with time and what to do with it. Many Christians have a big problem or at least ambivalent with time. I've, I've read this survey before, but there's a survey of 20,000 Christians which illustrates our problem with time. And the survey concluded that Christians have assimilated a culture, unfortunately, of busyness, of hurry and overload. Which leads to number two, 
God is marginalized in their life, which leads to three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which then leads to number four, Christians becoming more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions on how to live, which leads to number five, it's kind of this vicious cycle, more conformity to busyness, hurry, and the nearly infinite decisions we have to make. We call this pathological distractions, right? I don't think the biggest problem with the church is that the Illuminati is really powerful and they want to destroy the world, right, and the church. I don't think Kanye is our problem. I don't think the president is the problem. I don't think the forces in this world is the problem. Uh, You can have opinions. That's great. I think our greatest problem is ourselves and our relationship with what we do with our time every single day. You see, we say this a lot, or we said it a lot last year. Jesus doesn't offer you escape from your life. I got to be honest with you. Sometimes I wish he did right? How many days you're just tired and you wish you could just escape it all. There are times that I've wanted to go unconscious for at least an hour, right? At four in the morning and all the parents said amen to that. So yeah, I, I, man, I would love to escape every now and then. Hey, thank God for vacations, right? That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus no, never offers us um, escape. He only offers us equipment so that we can handle life. He offers us equipment. What is that equipment? I just have a few more minutes. So how do we practice caring? How do we redeem the time? Well, Paul says it pretty honestly. He says, well, you have to be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18. Got to be filled with the Spirit. What Paul is not saying is that, hey, you're a Christian and you're empty. That's not what he's saying. He says from the very beginning in chapter 1 that you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. If you've been baptized in water, you've publicly identified with Jesus, your life now is bound up in the life of Jesus. So by definition, you have, whether you feel like this or not, you have a spirit-drenched life. You already have the fullness of God. Hopefully that brings you hope. You already have the victory of God at work in your life. In fact, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, Paul writes, Uh, For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body and we were made to drink of one spirit. The Greek word baptizo uh, gives us a picture of an ancient ship being submerged in water. To be baptized in the spirit is simply what God does to you. He submerges you in the life of the spirit, not because you worked for it, not because you have everything in your life all sorted out, not because right Rightfully, you're a Dallas Cowboy fan. That's, you know, you're blessed, right? Not because you have everything in your life together. God blesses you and baptizes you because of his son, the death of Jesus and his resurrection and his lavishing of his love and his wisdom on your life. Can I get an amen to that? So to be filled with the spirit simply means this. It's a passive command. It doesn't mean that you have to today go and fill yourself up. Like I got to manufacture emotions, right? I got to get my life together. So that means being filled with the Spirit. No, to be filled with the Spirit simply means you got to open up your life so that God can do the work of filling you up. You create space, right? You remove the pathological distractions 
from the space between you and Jesus. In fact, there's really no space. Your life is bound up in the life of Jesus. What is true in the words of one scholar of Jesus is also true of you. You're not God. Can I get any man to that? But his life and his victory over the powers is yours because of the achievement of Jesus. It is yours. So it's God who wants to fill up the space in your life with his glory and with his presence. This command to be filled up is not just a command. It implies an ongoing, present relationship with the Holy Spirit. You obviously don't fill yourself up. Um, God fills you up. But God doesn't just fill you up one time. Be filled with the Spirit is, is almost like, hey, it's like God saying, I got everything you need today. So let me fill you up. Open your life to me. And then it's also as, as if God is saying, hey, I'm not just going to do this one time. I want to do this continually in your life, in your mess, in your difficulties. When you're at the NICU, when you're struggling, when you're trying to figure things out, you just open your life up to me and I'll continually fill you up with my presence. It'd it just be weird. Like, hey, you, you decide, okay, you're, you're a meditarian. And you tell your homie that this year, 2019, you're just going to go to Roots Chris one time and you're going to have all the steak you can eat, all the crab legs, and then you're not going to eat for the rest of 2019. Right? No one would do that. However, it just, I think there's a lot of people that assume that's how God relates to us. Like he just fills us up at maybe at camp, maybe, maybe one time on a Sunday in, in a given calendar year. Maybe a couple times we kind of get a tingle or a quiver in our liver if you're a Pentecostal, right? In a calendar year, and that's about it, right? God kind of scrimps with his grace, but that's not how God relates to us. God simply wants to fill us with his fullness when we open our lives up to him. And this is where I end. How do we open up our lives to him? Paul says, well, you got to sing a lot. You got to sing a lot. Sing what? He says, well, in verse, I think it's verse 19, verse 20, he goes, you got you to sing psalms, spiritual hymns, and you got to make a melody in your heart to the Lord. What do you have to, what do you have to, not scream. What do you have to sing? Well, you have to sing about the story of Jesus. See, there's, there's not, there's no power. Your story, I'm, I hate to break it to you. In a world that's been selfed, in a world that obsesses about being true to their self, I, I'm just going to have to break the news. Your story's not that powerful. I know my story's not that powerful, but here's the thing. It's the story of Jesus that has inherent power. And when you rehearse and you study and you sing and you declare and you talk about and you memorize the story of Jesus, you immerse yourself in this beautiful tapestry we call God's story. That's when you experience a transformative presence. You know, that's when God begins to fill you. There is power in the story of Jesus. Paul, he experienced this. He started announcing that Jesus is Lord. And what happens? Bodies are healed. Ephesus is turned upside down. The power structures 
in this cultural epicenter of paganism is flipped. Not because Paul was great, not because Paul had some genetic religious gene that shocked the world, right? No, it was because Paul announced that Jesus was king, that power started coursing through his ministry. When we rehearse and sing and and talk about the story of Jesus, our lives are changed. And when our lives are changed as we're filled up with the presence of Jesus, other lives are changed. So this is what I did. I close here. How, how did I, how did I win? And I'm still in the process of winning. Well, I've already won, but still in the process of implementing the victory of Jesus. How did, how did I handle the, the, all the things that my wife and I experienced in the NICU? As I mentioned before, there were good days, there were bad days. Um, doctors would come and give us horrible news, bad news. They're good doctors, but they had to be honest. And uh, the way I overcame my fears, the way that I handled, there were moments, I'm not going to lie to you, i got to be honest, where I felt like there was a demonic presence that came, sat right in front of me and started talking lies to me. How did I defeat those powers? Well, I didn't offer a nice little story. I didn't, I didn't like have necessarily a conversation with a particular lie or a particular untruth. The only thing that I could do, and I did it for 30 straight days, I'm still doing it. I sang God's word. I didn't care if people were listening to me or not, but I sang, I tried to think of every old school song I had, it's few, far between, and I started singing it. I started singing it about the beauty of Jesus, saying amazing grace. I started singing about the Holy Spirit. I started singing all these songs that we have sung for years and years and years and years. Songs about the majesty of Jesus. Songs about his power. Songs about his grace. Songs about, hey, this is, this is a momentary thing that we're in, but in 10,000 years, we will be celebrating the goodness and the victory of Jesus. I sung songs like, man, I, like no, no, others, no other business, whatever I'm trying to think of, right? I sang and I sang and I sang and I sang and I sang. And then I just read scripture. It was a thing that got me through. It wasn't my word, it wasn't my opinion. It wasn't, oh, I, I have the strength to overcome. I literally, there was a week where every day we got bad news, but literally I'm in the NICU and I'm just reading scripture, read through the New Testament, read through the first part of the Old Testament. And every time I got a bad news, I'm in scripture and God speaks to me the opposite of what a very good doctor, who had great intentions, but he had to be honest, gave me some bad news. It was amazing how God was faithful every single time I got a bad word from the doctor. I got a good word from my Father in heaven. There's no way I would have made it if I didn't sing about God's story and give myself to God's word. Let me just end here. I know we got to go. Can you give me one minute? Okay. Um, there's a Life, Lifeway research team that concluded after 10 years of, of study that the two most important things, if, if you want to be filled with God's presence, if you, if you want to become a transformative presence, a wise presence, a, a life that's filled with God's, God's glory, you have to have these two things. Number one, 
Bible engagement is the number one spiritual discipline for the spirit-drenched life. Engaging in the story of Jesus, giving yourself to it, immersing yourself in the story of Jesus. Getting Jeremiah, there's something about when you get Jeremiah in your bones, when you get Isaiah in your imagination, when you get Lamentations in your heart, you get the Psalms and all these beautiful poems coursing through your veins. When you get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we can just go on and on and on. When you get that in your heart and you're drenched and bathed in God's word, it changes you. Bible engagement is the number one spiritual discipline for growth. Number two, Bible engagement affects every other discipline. People who engage in the Bible, they're more generous, they give more, they go more. In the words of one author, they evangelize more. Um, they're more filled with peace and joy. They understand what God has for them. They understand purpose, all because they've engaged and declared and organized their life around engagement with God's story. Amen. How do we live a spirit-drenched life? Let's just engage scripture this year. Let's sing like we've never sung. How do we overcome? Sing. Sing God's story. Read, study, declare, talk about God's word. And God will do great things in 2019. Amen. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. Thank you.